Welcome to the grip strip. Oh, jumped the gun. Welcome to the grip strip podcast, episode 41. The uh, throwback to the origins of three colored guys version of the grip strip podcast. Um, that's totally non PC, but then that's why we are here. Um, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, man? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. It's, uh, glad to be back on the podcast uh, this week and glad to uh, have this discussion with you. Yeah, I got to show Josh what he didn't uh, win in the Fall Brawl League, uh, which is a massive championship belt and a ring that Peyton Manning's for. It would be like 18. It would fit like Peyton Manning's like enormous forehead. It would be like 24 of them. But, you know, uh, I wanted to... Uh, bring in somebody else who can bring an even further light to the discussion since we both are non-traditional motorsports fans, NASCAR fans, especially in the time that we're in. I wanted to give props to somebody who I've followed and we followed each other for basically a year, been trying to connect, trying to figure out a way. Somehow or another, I got him to to show up on his daughter's birthday so i guess there's something important i guess well probably because he was off but that because his daughter's birthday but um philip spain the white silk racing podcast we're gonna have some class we're gonna have some luther vandross level deep voice here uh thanks for coming on phil fell two phils on one show it'll be unfiltered for sure right mm-hmm yep it's never normally, I never normally see more than one fill. Like, normally we're like spread out all across the uh, United States. So, well, this is as close as it's going to get to two. Well, yeah, as the, for now, maybe if fans are able to go back and we're able to get together at a Pocono or Dover one day, I think that might happen and we could have an epic tailgate. I think that's part of it. And I've already got all the flags, all my flags, and got all kinds of things ready for it one day we can do it do it right um tonight's show is going to be a little bit it'll be a lot more uh, positive at least the start of it than it was last week uh we're gonna talk origin stories about why we're fans um why we're nascar fans motorsports fans um uh, things that kind of make certain people like rain man um pointing to myself um you know, also what it, the diversity in motorsports issue is really an issue. It's it's a problem. It's always been a problem. And I think now, as much as any time in our society, the way things have become, uh, the diversity in motorsports issue is a bigger uh, topic that should be discussed. And I think the three of us, as non-traditional fans can go and discuss it better than, you know, stereotypical white guy. Um, and I think it's worth it because we come from it just as, you know, we're genuine, you know, grassroots. It started, you know, as a little kid and it's been a passion. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some diversity motorsports stuff. We'll talk a little football because, Phil's the only guy that has a team left in the playoffs. Um, Lamar Jackson is still running on the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Marcus Peters is still stepping on the Tennessee Titans logo. But 
the fact is they're going to have to go to uh, Ralph Wilson Stadium. They're going to have to go to Buffalo play in the snow, it seems like. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Two of the best quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in the league. Two guys that were un, that weren't um, given as much credit as they should have been in that particular draft. The last first-round draft pick that Ozzie Newsom, the legend, the Hall of Famer, twice I think, well, if he isn't a Hall of Famer as a GM, he should be because he's a Hall of Famer as a player. He's one of the greatest GMs. And I think that also kind of connects into our diversity discussion because of having people of color in places of power in the NFL. How many uh, African-American coaches or people of color are in head coaching positions and in GM positions and how that is a fundamental problem. You know, Deshaun Watson, we could talk about that as well. You know, brainstorming right here live because that's how the GSP works. So I'm going to go and uh, for me, I said it a few months ago when I did, when we did this show, Josh and I, and it started with the day glow, you know, orange day glow, yellow star. And there was a star and it was this black car and it was fast. And it was out front and I was six years old and little did I know it was the Texaco Avalon star and it was Davy Allison. And that day in February back in 1992 started a passion that what is it? 29 going on 30 years later is still going on. And, and it's something that, I mean, I wouldn't have met it. There's so many good things that have come from my fandom. It's one of the only things in my life that no matter good or bad, your driver wins, doesn't win. The driver you like least wins or whatever. I've been able to meet so many good people. And there's a reason why we're together right now. If it weren't for motorsports, it weren't for a love of motorsports. First and foremost, we wouldn't be here together talking right now for sure you know we would of course social media all these other things kind of help too but motorsports is a community and it's a community and it's a family and it's core more than other sports and other things and meeting like-minded people meeting people who have that same passion it's much harder and especially in the times that we're in so to have the passion for motorsports and have it started with Davey Allison, went to Ayrton Senna, went to, you know, Michael Andretti, it, all these different people. And now all these years later, I have what I have right now, you know, and I can list my drivers, but maybe we will, maybe we won't. doesn't matter. I think you could tell after 40 episodes who I like and who I don't like. Um, and I wanted to just kind of started off that way and then we can kind of get into stories because it's funny i think the the reason that i wanted to have you on phil was i we brought it up just before we went on was you were watching an old race on youtube brought up martin truex senior and how i was able to basically identify which race you were watching Mm -hmm. and and that's where and, and it's that and also because I know I've been we I keep on talking I feel like it, it would be a cool 
collab because you have a passion. There's very few people I've seen that have that same kind of passion. And I want to be around people like you that have that same kind of energy and your energy is like full force. We're going to run through a wall the way that your offensive line blocks for Lamar kind of wall. (laughs) So that's why, you know, that's one of the reasons. And you, you've always bringing it out there, always bringing that positivity and you're also really like, like you're direct and you kind of have, you can bring, like you have that positivity, but you can go and just like smack somebody right upside their head with like the truth and people aren't going to, you're going to get them and they're going to like, they're going to have to respect that or else like, well, you're out the door. And so that's why, I mean, that's one of many reasons because you're just cool dude. We talk, you know, we always laugh. We always have fun. And so you were talking about it just before I'm going to throw to you, Josh, you'll be able to talk about it too, because your connection comes twofold, you know, um, because you're able to sim as well. And, and that also makes it even closer connection with a lot of these drivers, you know, Dale jr. And all that, but Phil, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Um, and, and kind of, let us know. You you were letting me know Ricky Rudd was a was a part of this deal. Six years old was your was the same age for you when you started this deal, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was yeah, I was about six or seven. Well, no, yeah, I was six because I remember ironically that the uh, Ravens had just come to town from Cleveland, and I used to watch the games with my mom and dad. Um, and it was after a game one day, and I know we had turned on ESPN, you know, just channel surfing. But we stopped on what I didn't know at the time was the uh, last North Wilkesboro race. And, um, you know, I saw Dale Sr. basically, you know, following behind Jeff Gordon, you know, trying to get past him. And it was just like every time I would see the cars go around the track, it was like, you know, they kept the camera centered on them, but there was so much else going on. And then it was like, oh, well, this is something that, you know, hey, I play with matchbox cars and things like that. And at the time, I really didn't understand, you know, about racing. But I was like, oh, I've seen that car before. I've got a little one like that, you know. And uh, then it was just basically there, there on out, like it was weekly. When I found out, you know, when the season started and then to be able to watch races, you know, I'd go to church on Sunday, you know, rush to make it home in time to, uh, you know, catch the beginning of the Daytona 500 or, you know. You mean when they started the races early? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When it would start around, you know, it was 1 o'clock or it didn't start at all, you know, or, or it was and already known to be night race, but, uh, yeah. And then just from there, from growing up, uh, when I was about almost nine or 10 years old, I got a little Ricky Rudd die cast and that die cast from Hot Wheels. It had all of the different things that, uh, you know, all of the different, uh, like set up how to explain how to set up a race car you know what was the difference between loose and tight 
camber, all of those type of things. And I wish I could find that piece of paper because I wish I had locked it up somewhere so I could be able to explain to people, this is what they mean when they're talking about this. But, uh, yeah, just from there, uh, you know, I sometimes felt like I was the awkward kid at school. You know, I was the one that was wearing the Jeff Gordon hat or, you know, I remember I had this jean Jeff Gordon shirt with a big barn on the back, but the 24 was coming out of the barn for some reason. I have no idea what was going on with that shirt. All I know is I got it, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's merchandise. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, some kids looked at me awkward for wearing it, but it was, you know, you sometimes get a little nervous around people that don't understand what you're into. But you know, the older I got, the more I say, hey, I like it. I don't care that you don't like it. You know, it's my job. Maybe if you ask me about it, I can explain it to you and you'll see why I like racing. And then just from there and on into my uh, teenage and adult years, you know, going to Dover, if not every year, probably every other year and just enjoying it and feeling like, hey, I'm finally a part of something. And you know, it was, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but like, you know, the stereotype goes both ways, you know, especially, you know, where people say, oh, you know, oh, you act like you're a white kid or something like that because you like NASCAR or, you know, we automatically sometimes think that we get a lot of redneck people into the sport. But I remember for my first race when me and my dad went, I, you know, we didn't have headset the first or anything like that. But there was, you know, people there that were willing to hand over their headset, let you listen for a few minutes, you know, especially if you had on a shirt or a jacket or something, you know, that they uh, identified with. So, yeah, that was that was neat. And, you know, it's on into my adulthood and trying to, uh, you know, her mom is against it, but trying to get my daughter involved in the racing. But, you know, she... She knows who people like Chase Elliott are. And, of uh, course. Yeah. 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 So, but the only reason she knows who Chase Elliott is is because she thinks he's Chase from Paw Patrol for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's it's fine. He can be Chase. Yeah, I was like, I'll let this correlation slide for a little bit. but I think yeah. Chase from Paw Patrol has uh, has more of a personality than, uh, than Chase Elliott. So... <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, the well, the missus doesn't want it to happen. As long as the car, you're not bringing out a go kart and any of that stuff. You're not bringing out the extra hardware. I think you're okay. Um, right. Yeah, she. As long as I think it's for kids. The way that they're doing things now, Pocono's great with this, and I'm a big Pocono advocate. I'm probably guilty of bias in multiple ways with Pocono, but. They care about having kids there. They do a lot of kid-centric events, and even with trying to possibly have fans there for their double header this year, right. I think if there's a place, there's probably two places where you could go and take kids. Uh, there, you can't really go wrong uh, with either Pocono or Dover. And now, mm. of course, Dover's been rendered to left to one race because I have to go to Nashville Super Speedway for whatever reason um, to drive around and nobody's going to pass anybody, and that'll be fun. 
for 400 miles with the 550 rules package or they with a rock hard tire and <laughs> there might be like three lead change there'll be three lead changes but hey whatever we'll, we'll see what happens yep. that'll be entertaining so uh josh uh to you i know we talked about it uh, a while back but um uh tell us your origin stories in regards to nascar motorsports and knowing that it's not like the regular thing it's not something that you'd be theoretically be into or family would be into per se or maybe it was yeah so i mean for me mostly it was the the video games um the first time i really i think interacted with nascar like directly was the um nascar 2000 video game on playstation i was at a friend's house for a party for you know something else and then we just ended up playing that game and i selected uh the dale earnhardt car or the dale earnhardt jr car one of those cars and um that's how i ended up becoming a dale jr fan it was just from that i think and then seeing his car on tv when i would watch the races and and i you know connect that car back to the game and then uh, i root for him and that's basically like how i uh, Dale Jr. fan and um, the first race I remember watching on TV like um, most of it or flag to flag was the 2002 Coke 600 and I remember that race was when um, Jimmy Johnson was a rookie and he dominated the race Robbie Gordon attempted the the double at Indianapolis and Charlotte and mm-hmm. then Jr. had a good race there but then uh, his uh, belts uh, failed in his engine and he had an engine failure so um, Tony that was, did uh, too that yeah year. Tony yeah, did I think, the double that year yeah, yeah, but I think I think that was oh, no, it was one, sorry, two thousand one. But yeah, for um, you know, junior, I remember that race, and um, I I think I, I think I cried like a little boy because um, I was I was mad that Dale Junior didn't or wasn't gonna win or whatever. But then you know, eventually we just started end up watching all the races, and then attended the two thousand two uh, Pepsi four hundred where Michael Waltrip won, and Junior was there trying to make a move for the win, and then he ended up finishing sixth, and then finished under caution, and because uh, Ryan Newman wrecked uh, with I think Dave Blaney, and then. The fans, like on the backstretch, started throwing their beer cans and their, uh, you know, their seat cushions and all that stuff. And that was interesting. I remember seeing that happen. I was like, oh, it's the beer rain, you know, because people throwing stuff all over the place and, you know, just having to dive and uh, dodge all that stuff. But, you know, over the years, um, just watching, you know, every race, whether it was just myself or, you know, with my family and um, just getting into it and you know my I guess my story is kind of similar to you uh Phil because um you know I was kind of the the one kid in school that um was the the NASCAR kid uh in in class like I didn't really wear like the uh the gear all that often I'm you know maybe every now and then I'd wear a shirt or two but you know people like eventually you know like as people get to know me that's what I you know bring up and um, that's you know what I watched and everything like you know most kids watch uh, baseball and football which I did watch a little bit of that but like I wasn't into it as much as NASCAR and that's that's why like you know for me like um, like I guess in my region like uh, down in Florida a lot of a lot of kids you know grow up being like Florida State fans or uh, you know Gators fans which I where I end up going to school and like for me it was NASCAR um, 
and that's kind of why I you know have that connection going back you know to as a kid being a fan and everything and and then you know eventually like um my parents got the um NASCAR Thunder 2002 game or 2003 game for me the one with Earnhardt on the cover and and I had the Microsoft Sidewinder uh, steering wheel and pedal set to go along with it. And, you know, I'd play that on my uh, PC or you know, on my parents' PC growing up. And then eventually I had my own computer and then, you know, downloaded uh, NASCAR 2003 and then got into the community with that, just like downloading all the mods and everything and, you know, all the different tracks that people created for uh, that game and still do to this day, even though it's 17 um 18 years old now but um you know then eventually building my own pc and then downloading and you know now subscribing to iRacing and all that stuff that's um how i uh, connect to the sport now is uh, through the sim stuff and then even even in my own professional background um, of engineering and i'm mostly a software and electrical engineer but um just having that frame of mind uh, you know understanding engineering helps me to understand kind of the mechanical um, aerodynamical side of the sport um, and what goes on into that and even today like as they're going uh, and pushing for electrification you know that's something that really interests me because I want to see uh, how that's going to affect the sport and like what technologies and designs they're going to use for that um, so um, reading kind of the more academic articles related to the sport um, whenever I can uh, is a, a lot of uh, interest to me as well. But, you know, it's not just NASCAR. Um, you know, as uh, the years go on, you know, you begin to diverse in uh, the series that you watch and, you know, eventually branched out into um, IndyCar. Um, obviously, they race on ovals, the Indianapolis 500. So they're you know, racing at least somewhat at least similar to NASCAR in a way being the the closeness at least on the ovals and everything and um that's something that I've enjoyed about that sport and then you know branching out into uh, sports cars formula one and all the like and then you know eventually being able to know enough about all those sports to be able to talk about it on here as well so that's kind of uh my background in it just with uh, this sport yeah, it's it's something to think about all those races and all those years back. I mean, uh, being able to attend Daytona, it's still a bucket list thing for me. I got to go to the first time I actually got to go to a racetrack was well, there, there's two. There's there, there's a pre preface. We drove by the old Flemington Speedway in 95 when Ron Hornaday won by moving Rick Corelli out of the way to win the first uh, truck race at Flemington Speedway, which had some of the, you know, New Jersey um, stalwarts, the modified stalwarts there at Flemington Speedway. Um, we wanted to go to that deal. I, because the, because TNN, we didn't have TNN for whatever reason. It was on scramble vision and we couldn't see the race. But then I'm like, I want to go to a race. I want to go to, or, or, well, there's actually three stories now because that just brought up another one. <laughs> I we were we went the one time we were supposed to go on like a really family trip is my mom, my dad, myself. We went to Florida to did we were gonna go to Disney, do all that crap, you know what you do with kids and whatever. My dad's lazy; he doesn't really want to go anywhere. Me. It's August in, of 94. 
and I'm a racing fan. I just my my second full year. The Brickyard 400, first Brickyard 400 was coming on. 80 plus cars were qualifying, trying to qualify for 43 spots. Perish the thought that there could actually be a car count in in NASCAR. Um, and I wanted to watch that. Needless to say, my mother was not very happy with me or my dad. And uh, we never really went on a long distance. Well, we did go on one long distance trip uh, again. But that definitely kind of set the tone of us not really going anywhere for a while. uh, Because I wanted to watch ESPN and watch qualifying for the Brickyard 400. And speaking of the Brickyard 400, that leads to going to Indianapolis in 96. And back then, the NASCAR race at Indianapolis was a thing. People actually thought it was worth watching. Um, People thought it was good. Um, It wasn't good for me because I was an Ernie Irvin fan, and he got fucked out of two of the first three Brickyard 400s. But um, the, the notion of going there... And it and it'll always stick with me for the rest of my life. Getting out of that taxi cab and hearing the cars going around the racetrack and how the the vibrations and the sound come off those grandstands, which are a hundred years old, near like like a ninety years old, whatever it was back then, if eighty, whatever, whatever the number was, it's so many years old. And I'm like, oh my god, this is like. This is like Mac, you know, like for people, they find their, their, their happy place, their Mecca, their, their, the most amazing place on earth. That's the most amazing place on earth. And then I walked around the track and got to go to the museum. There's a dorky picture of me in my Ernie Irvin nutmeg mill shirt next to rich Mr. The King's car from his last year. I took a picture around the Marmon wasp. I still have the tickets and like pictures and like there was like early day scrapbooking well before scrapbooking became a thing (laughs) with all the Indianapolis stuff. And we, and, and we didn't even get to go to the race. We were there for qualifying and I got to sit there for qualifying. And I, and the things I remember is watching, of course, Jeff Gordon, I think probably put it on pole. It was 96. So, and I think he did anyway. And then, you know, Ernie qualifying, of course, coming from his doing his comeback. But I always remember Jeff Bodine's seven car had a different pitch. Like they, like the way that the Fords in the Xfinity series, this year on Daytona and Talladega had the X exhaust. They had a different pitch and a different tone when they'd go by. Like they had a, they sounded different. Jeff Bodine's car sounded different. I always remember that he drove the QVC Ford. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's things like that. And it's why, you know, when crap is going sideways and why certain things are going a certain way, we come from this from a different angle. You know, we love it. It's been a passion. And like I always say to a lot of people, if there's one word to describe me, it's passion. Because if I'm passionate about something, I'm all in. Like, there's right. no doubt. And we are all in that same boat for sure. And I mean, I guess the next piece 
I mean, there's certain story like we talk about like old school stuff, old, old. I mean, for me, I love, you know, I was born, I'm, I was born in 85. So I love looking at stuff before that. I love looking at the eighties. I like the eighties, all of the seventies. I'm a, and it's going to kind of connect into our next part of our, of the show with the, the pre, you know, modern era of NASCAR, you know, thinking about Wendell Scott and what he was able to do and his connections he was able to make with the likes of Holman Moody and Bud Moore. And, and of course, the great Ned Jarrett, who's one of the greatest people ever in NASCAR um, to the parts that Ned Jarrett would help and give um, Wendell Scott so he could make it to the next race. So him and his family could, they could, he could feed his family. That was what the sport was about. Um, and the fact that he was able to be there and do what he did under immense, the, the, the kind of, to imagine what, you know, certain drivers in the sport are under times a million, uh, probably is still too low for what, uh, the likes of Wendell Scott had to go through. But, um, I guess to I'll start with Josh, like you talked about races and video games and that's a thing. Like definitely you're the gaming guy and understanding things. And you also understand the technical aspect. Was there a race or a, a time early in your fandom that kind of, that you watch now and you think about different, or you're able to watch it again since we have YouTube and other things to go and, you were able to watch it earlier and then now you're like, Oh, I missed this or I missed that. And it's like interesting. And I have a different perspective of it now compared to when you watched it originally. Oh man, that's a, it's a pretty good question there. I have to kind of think about that one, but I mean, cause there's tons of examples. I feel like, um, I mean, let's see, like the, I guess maybe like the 2004 Daytona 500, um, because back then, like watching that one, like watching Dale Jr. win that race, like it was cool to see and everything. And I remember like the year before, like he had a, a battery issue with his car and finished like two laps down, even though they had a like a pretty dominant speed weeks, uh, you know, winning everything except for the 500 in the year before. And then 04, they didn't win like you know the there there was a lot of um hype i guess around nascar nextel had become the the first uh or they had succeeded winston and they you know they had a lot of hype bringing in a new series sponsor into the sport um and you know i remember watching i missed like the first part of that race but i remember watching like um i think like around lap 50 and then all the way up to the end and then um kind of watching that want to unfold and then seeing him win and being excited about it. Uh, like, I don't remember like how exactly I felt about it and then watching it again, kind of seeing how he was able to um, stay in the race. And then he, you know, passed Tony Stewart with 19 to go and then stayed in the lead and everything. And I'm able to go back and watch that and have kind of the same satisfaction. But then I also compare it to when, when uh, Dale won the 2014 Daytona 500. And then by at that point, you know, I had a, a full understanding of what it actually meant to win that race. And even leading up into that year, he had a couple of years where he finished second or finished um, 
third or whatever and just hadn't been close enough to win the race um but then he was able to get that one and then you know on top of that he had the the winless streak and uh from 2012 and the previous winless streak going all the way back to michigan father's day 2008 um you know actually being able to see him on tv and win the race like i hadn't been able to do that when he won in 2012 in michigan i didn't see that endings i had to go and leave for church and then this one i was able to watch and and that one i actually enjoyed a whole lot more because i was able to quantify it and be able to see like the reaction on twitter and everything to it and kind of follow the hype around that win so it's kind of a maybe a little bit different answer comparing like two completely different races but kind of like my perspective on it between the two races um kind of uh you know changed and one's like the earlier understanding where i um didn't fully quite understand it and then the other one's now where i started to become more um i guess mature in understanding and and be able to like fully comprehend like what everything meant uh in that race uh, that's a good one. I mean, you you killed me on the first part of that, but the second part with now that I like uh, announcer Dale and podcaster Dale and the emotion that he showed there at the late part of his career, I think at that point in his career, he was a different guy. And I think Amy and all that, all the things that changed in his life, that Daytona 500 validated a lot of things. It was one of the only things that he could say he did better than his own father to go and win the Daytona 500 again um, in two totally different formats, basically total. And for all that he had went through and all the different things he probably had to recover from uh, 10 years after the fact, you know, the way you know, they talk about how long big, big dry spells. And of course there was big dry spells in his career in terms of wins, but the, that win basically started a run uh, for him for that 14 season was one of his best seasons. Uh, 14 and 15 were a lot like 03 and 04 uh, for, for Junebug in that sense. And that was how he kind of, that was the, basically the, 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 the precursor to the end of his career, unfortunately, because of the concussions and all, which, you know, for me as an Ernie Irvin fan, I am fully aware, and Steve Young in football, fully aware of how much those um, can affect life and can affect things past being in a race car. Um, Phil, I'll throw to you. You have, you're always telling us about classic races you're watching, but, um, is there something that you watch now that you have watched and you pick up on some details or things that you didn't even notice when you first watched it? Yeah, um, there, there are, like, plenty of races. Like, when I was a kid, you know, I saw, you know, the original Dale and Dale show, you know, uh, the 93-500. Um, I saw that, like, I guess the abridged version on uh, ESPN Classic at the time. And, you know, as you get older and you, you know, with us now being able to look at old races on YouTube, uh, when I was able to watch that full race, because I think somebody has like the uh, raw satellite feed of the race. So seeing all of the little nuances and, you know, things that most people don't pick up on, like, you know, when I was a kid and 
you know, just like Josh, you know, and getting into IndyCar and things like that, I, you know, I had heard of Al Unser Jr., but I never knew that he had run that one NASCAR race. Uh, and when he crashed out somewhere, like, after halfway, uh, I remember they asked him, you know, will you be back? And he says, you know, oh, yeah, you know, we'll be back. And, you know, never comes back. But, uh, I mean, there are little races here and there that I'll pick up on. You know, there are stuff, races that I remember as a kid. And, you know, now I go and watch them back as I get older. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is why that happened. Like, you know, I remember when Dale Jarrett took over the 28, uh, you know, for a little bit when Ernie got hurt and, but I never understood why until I got, you know, into my teenage years that, you know, he got, uh, you know, that Ernie had got hurt. And when Ernie got hurt, you can pretty much say, like you say, it really changed the type of driver that he was, you know, and then especially after he left Yates, uh, and went over to, uh, what was it? I think, I guess the MBV, I guess it was at MB2. the time. It was MB2 yeah. Motorsports, yeah. They had Skittles car, the Skittles Pontiac. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And, you know, it's just seeing all of the uh, old races, you know, stuff that they don't even run anymore, like the da- the Goodies Dash stuff, you know. Seeing how big Speed Weeks used to be compared to, you know, now it's just, you know, the Clash the duel and then, you know, the the three races on a weekend. Whereas, you know, you had Arca, you had the Goodies Dash, you know, qualifying was almost like, what, I think two days, you might as well say, because they had, uh, you know, they used to do the uh, second round qualifying, which I wish they would somewhat bring back, I think. But, you know, it's another story for another time. But, um. Yeah, just there, like I said, there are little things here and there where, you know, I'll go and look up a race on YouTube and I'll say, oh, yeah, I remember I watched that. And then, you know, you'll get into it and you'll see little things like different cars, people that were, you know, not in the car that you always thought that they were in. And and that's always fun playing the guessing game of, you know, what would have happened if somebody stayed somewhere, you know, like if Jeff Green stays with, uh, you know, I guess DEI the first time back when he was running in the uh, Bush series, you know, how would that have worked out for him if he hadn't have kind of jumped around a little bit or if, you know, DEI didn't somewhat, I guess, make, yeah. And, uh, you know, if, you know, if they made any changes or anything like that, that might have helped him along a little bit. But, yeah. So, that's been my, uh, I guess, my history. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, those are all good ones. I mean, both you guys have brought up good races for me. I think, I for me, it's a combination of all the motorsports because I've gotten in a, I was into NASCAR, I was in an IndyCar, it was on ESPN, so the reality is when ESPN was actually a worthwhile channel, they showed every motorsport, it was 
I knew who Jim Johnson was with a mullet driving a Mickey Thompson stadium truck against Ivan Ironman Stewart, um, Roger Mears, Rob McCacharin when he was like 20 and he's still driving all these years later. They were doing the Mickey Thompson stadium truck deal. I know who Jimmy Johnson was before he became seven time Jimmy right. Johnson and he shaved. Well, now he doesn't shave anymore, but he shaved back then and he looked like a, like a, a cake eater, you know, like I watched unlimited hydroplane racing when Miss Budweiser was a thing. And, you know, like they had everything like that was all, but you had Supercross. That's where I learned about Jeremy McGrath, you know, and I, connected from that moment i was a i got with him and he was a rookie god knows how the hell i got that and he went and won all those championships and he became showtime and that was a amazing time in in racing i think about i think about the i think it was the both talladega races i'll bring up because you think about the i didn't i like i'm gonna bring up the the diehard 500 that more because the earlier race, the the I guess back then uh, was April uh, that they or I don't even remember because I think it used to be April and July for right. Talladega. Yeah, they moved them around all the, all the times like the, what is now the 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 chase race, uh, the playoff race was the race the 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 July race and whatever. But, of course, in the April race, everybody remembers when Earnhardt went and um, turned Rusty Wallace in a, in a Bolivian and um, he flipped over again. Um, shows how those cars were like balsa wood. Mm. Uh, but he, did, he made it out because Dale Sr., he was just rattling his cage. Uh, of course, that's, but Ernie won the race somehow. That was, a, that was, that was the closest recorded finish in NASCAR history at that point, because that was, I think one of the first races they had digital timing and scoring, which tells you how great NASCAR is that they only had digital timing and scoring in 93 when IndyCar, I think had been having had that for about a decade or whatever, even with USAC and USAC didn't even know their ABCs, but that's beside the point. The, you know, the, the there was that race and there was a lot of, um, you know, craziness. And it was a really good, cool race where they all respected each other. Kind of the opposite of what we see and what we're going to see in a few weeks at Daytona, where they're going to bring everything back in a box. Um, back then, they had a really huge three wide finish coming to the checkered there. And there was like 20 cars deep you know going for that finish um then in july it was on the heels of um the passing of davy allison when he crashed um his helicopter and you know phil he's a davy guy like i am he goes and buys the merch off of liz allison's uh uh, website i've waste i've wasted a, a a paycheck i think at that website buying all the davy merch and i remember watching that not understanding what was going on because i was so young and 
it it also works with the Ireton Senna thing, which happened a few months later, to think about losing your two favorite drivers at such a uh, early time in your life. And watching uh, Donnie Alice and his uncle drive the 28 car around the racetrack and everyone crying and like it it was just insane. And then you you also look at um, Neil Bonnet making his return to driving in uh, Dale Senior's backup car, basically uh, in a number 31 mom and pops Chevy. And he was driving, everything's good, clean, chill, typical Neil Bonnet, quiet, unassuming. The next thing you know, he gets hooked in the left rear corner and he goes for a ride. And everyone was like, oh my God, is he going to get out? Because he's had concussions, he's had all kinds of injuries. Not only does, and I didn't notice this, of course, back when I was er earlier in my life. He gets out of the car. I mean, he was breathing heavy, of course. You just flipped the freaking race car. Dude goes to the care center, gets a suit, walks, gets back up into the booth, and calls the rest of the race, which is his main job. With mm -hmm. Ken Squire and Buddy Baker or whoever was in there. I think it was Buddy Baker. And, you know, he goes up to the booth. Like, nobody's doing that crap anymore. I just wrecked a race car. I'm just going to go walk. I'm, I'm going to go to the care center i'm gonna go walk to the booth there's they're made different now they're going off into their hole and going on their social media and going and having a bitch fight neil bonnet was like no i'm just gonna clean myself off get me a nice shirt and a jack my cbs jacket with the eye over here and i'm gonna go and walk up and i'm gonna work with my buddy ken squire who's got his squireisms going and he's just happy that his co- his his main analyst is alive. Neil, I mean Ned Jarrett was his other guy. Sorry, Ned Jarrett was in there with him because CBS had Ned Jarrett up there. And you talk about the Dale and Dale show, and so yeah, I mean, and 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 also another piece, Robbie Gordon, young Robbie Gordon, with a full-on mullet, like 23 years old, driving the 28 car with barely any cup or stock car experience was respectable. Then he wrecked, which I was kind of pissed off about. I remember him driving for AJ Foyt and he was like, AJ Foyt is going to be his coach and he's going to be like his mentor and he's going to mold and form this guy. And Michael Cranifis, Michael Cranifis and Ford, they put all their money in Robbie Gordon. Let's just say they picked the wrong Gordon. Not, not because Robbie Gordon was bad. Because Robbie Gordon is a badass, but Jeffy was the one that did a lot of the was bringing that business. Let's just say that Chevy is going to continue making money off of that turtle lip fruit, you no, know, for for decades because of all the wins that he's had. I mean, they give him credit for winning the Rolex Twenty Four when he had one stint a few years ago. The fact is, Jeff Gordon makes GM money. GM has benefited from Ford fuck-ups, and this is yet another example of that. But Robbie Gordon was able to drive that 28 car, and it shows how Robert Yates, it kind of is like the minutia, and I should have, if I was if I was a little more into it, which now I am going and thinking back, all the drivers that he hired to drive that car 
Robbie wasn't ready at that point to deal with that kind of pressure. So that was a really unfortunate spot to put him in, along with the fact that his full-time job was to be an IndyCar driver at that point. Then you put in the likes of Kenny Walls when Ernie got hurt, which was just an abomination, along with Dale Jarrett. And then somehow or another, Dale Jarrett got a better ride and a better crew chief out of it. That's a separate discussion for a different day. But Ernie and, and Larry Mack had a great relationship. And when Larry Mack left, that was basically the beginning of the end of the 28 car. They had all kinds of guys. The only guy that I can remember driving the 28 car that was halfway decent was Lake Speed. But then it's Lake Speed. If you really want to deep dive in Lake Speed and people say, oh, he only won one cup race. I'll tell you what else, what else he did. He beat Ayrton Senna in a go-kart. He's one of the only people on earth that can say he beat Ayrton Senna heads up. All right. He beat Dale Earnhardt at Darlington and he beat Ayrton Senna in a karting championship. Mm-hmm. And of course he's got, he's a man of faith and Jesus and saved him and all the whole bit and all the stuff. He probably flying on the clouds and the whole thing. He probably could be a televangelist like Tim Tebow, but the whole thing is the guy could drive a race car. And he did good there. But nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about how Lake Speed was. People underestimate. And But here's the other thing. He got a job out of that deal because he went and got the Budmore 15 by driving that 28 car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dick Trickle got the car after that. And both of them got ran out the door, which is probably why Budmore's team went out of business. But, I mean, it's it's kind of like that, you know, how – it brings up all these stories and brings up all these things. And you look at those races and you think about what might've been, it's like the, what might've been like for me as an Ernie fan, you know, getting made fun of, Oh, you're an Ernie Irvin fan. He doesn't win races. I'm like, well, mother motherfucker, the guy almost died. Mm -hmm. Dude was dead. The fact it was luck. It was just sheer luck that Ernie Irvin made it out alive that day they had a surgeon per whatever like a neuro not a neuro whatever a surgeon on the premises at mis because it's roger penske because it's roger penske to be there at that moment to because of nascar safety for as much as everyone talks about how great they are indycar is well ahead of them and has always been well ahead of them Roger Penske owned MIS back then, and he had qualified physicians and people in the medical thing. So that when the bad year tire blew out and Ernie knocked the wall down, he was saved so that he could be here for his for Kim and for his kids. That's something that they didn't have at Talladega for Davey, but somehow or another they saved Red Farmer. And at 195 or whatever the hell he is, he's still here because he's Red Farmer. You know, like Davey was passed away, but he gave his life and he gave his organs to other people that were able to give life. So in its own right, it was a connection. And I love the history of that because in the end, it wasn't in vain, number one, but number two, it connects us 
to those stories because we were children, we were young, we didn't know. And we didn't know how much they meant or how much they were, how much value they brought to the sport. And now you look at it as an adult and you say, hey, I can talk about this person. I'd be like, I'm proud that they were a part of my life. And it, and it says that it was worth this chase and it was worth this, this um, you know, fandom. And, and I think... I think it fundamentally um, rolls into the next portion of the show that we're going to kind of, you know, deal with before we kind of get into a little more of the promotions and and other, like, lighter topics. I think the diversity side of the sport um, and... Uh, uh, when it comes to where we are, especially in NASCAR, because we all we all deal with um, the sport as non-traditional fans, and we've all felt like, um, yeah, I, mean, I think we've been all welcomed and we've been all right, and um, been able to enjoy the ser- enjoy the sport. I don't know what it'll be like now. Once we're able to go back, I think it'll be a lot more difficult, but. Um, I think what do we, I guess the initial question we'll go with is where do we see NASCAR in terms of diversity with a lot of the things that have been going on recently, you have, um, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, and go when it comes to, um, you know, like Kyle Larson with what happened with him. When um, when he went and uh, did what he did, you know, Haley Deegan with her recent comments and the way she is and the way they're promoting her as the next big thing, um, you know, uh, Bubba Wallace and what he's been going through. I mean, Phil, you could talk about it better than either of us can, honestly, um, you know, when it comes to where we're at as not only as a society, but, you know, as a sport. And when you consider other sports, um, what we're talking about, I'm going to throw to you first, Phil, um, with, with, um, the Bubba thing, because I think it's going to get into the next piece, but where do you see the sport right now? Diversity wise, you know, we've had Danica and that was whatever we've had, you know, Bill Lester, in recent years, but of course, Bill Lester wasn't really an elite talent. Um, we've had other African-American drivers. We've had Hispanic drivers. Of course, Daniel Suarez is still in the cup series. Um, where do you see cup racing? I mean, obviously we're all into a lot of motorsports, but where do you see NASCAR at in regards to this diversity issue? Oh, well, I don't know. I kind of see, NASCAR, in a way, they're doing as good as they can, but there's still work to be done. Um, You know, I've felt that over, even before Bubba got into it, you know, uh, you know, it sometimes it would, I don't want to say it would sting a little bit when, you know, you look at a race and all you would see is, you know, you know, Caucasian, you know, drivers, 
you know, and then you sit there and think, well, maybe, you know, it's because, you know, blacks don't like the sport or anything like that. But what I hadn't realized is, you know, it's NASCAR isn't like, you know, Major League Baseball or like a, uh, you know, like the NFL, whereas, you know, it reaches out and, you know, everybody knows, you know, about the sport. You know, people know about NASCAR, but they have, you know, there's no solid core, you know, reason for people to root. You know, like like I said earlier, you know, people think NASCAR is just going in circles, you know, but for, you know, with NASCAR, they didn't have what like the NFL had this past weekend with the... Uh, you know, that rate, uh, the, uh, not the race, but the, uh, game that was broadcasted on Nickelodeon, you know, so they didn't have, they don't have that opportunity where it is somebody can learn, you know, about the sport at the same time while watching it. Whereas, you know, you don't need a degree to watch NASCAR, but in a way to know what they're talking about, you know, when they say, Oh, this car is loose, this car is tight, you know, oh, you know, uh, something's running, uh, there's a miss in the engine or anything like that. But what NASCAR needs to do a little bit better of is getting into those communities. Whereas, you know, we saw with Kyle Larson and, you know, the N-word situation, uh, where he's gone, you know, to the uh, urban racing school. Before this summer, or, you know, this summer and fall, I had never heard of the Urban Racing School. And I never knew it was in Philadelphia, you know, and like I say, let alone knew that it existed. So while NASCAR does have the Drive for Diversity program, they have other opportunities for people to want to get involved. They have to do a better job, especially if they want to go in the you know, urban communities and, you know, show kids that, hey, you don't always have to play a stick and ball sport. You can, you know, get behind the wheel, you know. And I think what scares a few people off is the thought of the engineering aspect of it, you know, that you have to know about cars to get behind the wheel. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's really it's just a basic, you just need a basic knowledge. You know, the, the days now are a little bit gone where, you know, you had the guys like Adele Sr. or, uh, uh, you know, Ricky Rudd or somebody like that that got under the car with the guys. If they wrecked it, they were going to make sure that they were there to help. Now it's just, you know, yeah, yeah. Once you, uh, you know, those guys like Rusty Wallace and uh, Bill Elliott, those guys that got you know, got their hands dirty. Now it's like all you really have to do is be able to drive a race car, but also know how to promote yourself. And if we've learned anything from like Twitter or anything, uh, is that people can learn how to promote themselves from there, but you also too have to take into account the people that you have around you. So, uh, like I say, NASCAR can do a whole lot better in uh, in promoting 
themselves in urban areas. It's the same way with like baseball, because a lot of people say, you know, people don't play baseball or black people don't play baseball as much anymore. Uh, but uh, it's not for a lack of them not wanting, but it's more, you know, it's not promoted. It's not something that, you know, they try to do like the the rookie leagues in uh, different states and different urban areas. But NASCAR has to, and especially if they want to continue this growth where you have people like, you know, a Dwayne Wade or somewhere like that that are looking at the sport now and saying, oh, I want to learn how to get involved. You know, a person like a LeBron James or a Jay-Z or something like that, if they want to continue their growth, they need to take a more hands-on approach instead of saying, oh, here's a diversity program. We're doing the bare minimum. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, the D for D, when I wrote about it, you know, for my senior thesis going all the way back, now it's going on nine years ago. Um, It was in its early stages first few years and Bubba was there early stages for him back then um and you know there'd been african-american drivers of course i brought up wendell scott read about his history and really got to learn about him and what he went through and uh, the where the sport was then and where the sport is now and fundamentally in a lot of ways yes there's been progress but then you could see what happened last year and what has gone and transpired here in the last in a week uh to to really understand how much we have you could say that there's progress but there there's been a regression in our society too and I think it also fits in the NASCAR garage area and, and in motorsports too. Um, you know, I, you look at IndyCar, Willie T. It took until he was probably past his prime to get an IndyCar, and he never really had the support. Then George Mack was the only other African American driver that got in an IndyCar, and that was the IRL. So it's for whatever it is. Um, there's other guys that have tried, I think Chase Austin gave it a shot and, um, I'm trying to think of the other guy, I don't know, Chris Windham is there right now, but of course he's never really going to get a shot, um, because he doesn't have money and that's really fundamentally the thing. Now they use the excuses money, um, but you can put people who have no talent in the car, but then they have a check or ownership, whatever decision or sponsorship. There's always been, they use the excuse. It's the excuse that Bernie had when he didn't put Willie T in an F1 car, uh, which is something I learned based on his, you know, documentary that he was in line to run Formula One. And that's something I was talking to Josh uh, offline before you came on, Phil. Um, you know, I was thinking about it in regards to our discussion that we're going to have now. Um, people didn't like Willie T. And I made this comparison. You could tell me if I'm wrong or not. To me, he was 
like, and people don't like Bubba either because people say he's cocky and he's arrogant. But I figured he's kind of like Willie T. But then I look at Willie T. He's like Floyd. He's like Floyd Mayweather in that he is so cocky and in your face, and he's so talented. People don't want to. They don't want to hear it, and they don't want to like it. And until and he went out there. And he showed you up, he did his thing, and then he went and danced on top of his car and he did the icky shuffle. And people didn't like it. Jack Roush f Willie T over. You know, the only person, there's only two people in motorsports in America that honestly, or three, the late Jim Truman, Dan, the late great Dan Gurney, and... Derek Walker. Those are the only three people that honest to God had Willie T's back and all you can connect some of the greatness in his career to all three of those people. You need to have people that can, that'll back you in the worst, in the toughest times. And I guess, and before I throw to Josh in regards to the, I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent, but it, when it comes to, like thinking about this diversity discussion and where we're at. I think Bubba with, with Mr. The King was in a great place because for all that Richard Petty could be theoretically connected to and what he's been through and what the way he supported Daryl, not only was not a bigger than he was bigger than an owner. He was like a father. He was like a grandfather. He was like a second. He was, there for him more than any other owner has ever been for him and fundamentally this sport is better off for it because mr the king did that but it also shows how great richard petty really is and it also shows what bubba meant to him and and relative to all these years of of the 43 car since Richard Petty won his last race, which was before I was even born. There's only been two drivers to me in his whole entire time that he's had, that he really had a connection with. It was Bobby Hamilton, who came from freaking nothing in Nashville and made something of himself and became a champion in NASCAR. And Darrell Walsh Jr. In, in 36 years of, of the 43 car, there's only two people I can think of. And that should tell you all you really need to know about where the sport kind of is and where things have gone. But it also speaks to this diversity discussion at Richard Petty, who's, you know, people can say one way or the other about certain aspects of Richard Petty's um, connections, politics and whatever. But he took him in like he was like his son. And if Richard Petty's going to co-sign on that boy, on that kid, on that young man, if you're going to question him or question anything about him, then there's a problem with you. Because you look at the things that make motorsports that make motorsports it's these great people these great drivers richard petty co-signs on you it means something dan gurney co-signs on you it means something 
those are the kind of people. They're the greatest ever. They're the Mount Rushmore's of motorsport. If they can co-sign on your character and you as a person, at the end of the day, it matters more than what you do in a race car. Um, you want to win, of course. But um, Josh, I'm going to throw to you in regards to diversity as us non-traditional fans. What do you see? What do you feel like? Is it a? Is it a? I mean, you take a technical side. You have a more analytical technical side. Is it possible that it's a a, a thing where it would would it? Like Janet Guthrie was a well-educated woman, but she came in in a time with not only sexism, but ageism and the whole bit. Bobby Unzer saying whatever Bobby Unzer said, and he's like 140 and he still kind of thinks that way, but it's funny now. It's all, it's funny. It's all Uncle Bobby, but he said awful things about her. You know, Robin Miller, God bless him. He's one of the greatest riders, motorsports riders, and he drove a midget. But he basically no-sells her because she wasn't like some great talent. Is it a thing of, is it, is the sport just not capable of managing to have a woman or have some, um, an African-American man or somebody who's of color? Because I think about Noreen Karthikeyan for me as an Indian guy, you know, like thinking about somebody of color actually be able to compete and perform and get the kind of respect that they deserve. Or is there something else going on that we're not really touching? Well, I think it's certainly possible. And I mean, there have been drivers throughout history that have you know been able to prove it, but they just didn't have the... Um, the level to compete on or um the full backing to be able to you know fully prove that and i mean there's really only one driver that's been able to do that it's lewis hamilton and you know he's the obviously the most uh successful um uh you know person of color to um achieve anything in motorsports um with you know seven world championships and you know over 93 wins now but in in formula one but um i think you know, the other side of it is the the economic side. Um, and, you know, we talked about it offline before the uh, before the show started. And we said, like, you know, like with Bubba Wallace, like, yeah, he's cocky. He can be arrogant. Um, you know, he can be a little emotional sometimes. Um, but then somebody like Michael McDowell, who's um, been, uh, you know, he hasn't really achieved anything in, in, in NASCAR in his career. Um, and you know he's known for um, getting solid finishes, um, but you know he's never really like done anything beyond mediocrity. And still, his most memorable moment is going to be that flip that he had in Texas when he was a rookie in 2008. But um, you know he's a steady guy. He's a low risk. Uh, driver there's not a lot that the sponsor has to uh put on the line for him um or for the team to be able to back him so that he can race and is easy to market and so i think that's that's part of it and you know i think there has to be sponsors um beyond the um current set of sponsors that we have or even even the current sponsors that are in nascar and other series that are you know willing to back 
um, more diverse uh uh, drivers and and such or just even drivers that are actually talented to even expand that you know like you know we have drivers that aren't really that talented that have backing and and are able to have full-time rides and they are um i i mean i they they get the job done i i guess so to speak you know they maybe maybe they don't wreck the car and everything but you know they don't really like do anything with that that car and and then there are you know drivers that um, have tried to get rides for years, like um, you know like Bubba or like even somebody like Daniel Hemrick, um, who um, has been shown that he's been able to do it in the lower series, like uh, the you know the um, the late models and all that stuff, and being able to prove that he can win, but he just just hasn't had the the um, the right sponsorship or the right team to compete. So I think. I think that's part of it too. Is, is just um, uh, sponsors be be need to be more willing to to back a, a driver um, th- who isn't the the traditional kind of driver who isn't somebody that's easy to to back on. I mean, companies they do tend to um, you know do what's convenient for them um, because obviously they see the the bottom line and they're able to. Um, want to do what's uh, able to gain them the most steady income or the most in, uh, income from from that uh, sponsorship and you know in return they're able to provide spe- uh, steady sponsorship so I think um, the sponsors have to be able to put more risk um, as well but I think you know on the series side like what um, Philip was talking about earlier is the uh, marketing and and the promotion towards you know the younger fans and I would argue that we've been doing that for several years with our broadcast, um, but they've been uh, talking to us like we are children. Because um, I noticed that during the game this weekend, when you know they would explain things and and stuff like, I mean, yeah, there was the cool aspect uh, with the slime and you know some of the other things that they did on that Nickelodeon broadcast, but um, they would explain things about the sport, you know, the basic fundamentals that we all know about, but um, you know, when you apply that to motorsports, people saying, oh, well, NBC or Fox needs to do that. Well, I mean, you can argue that Rick Allen or Mike Joy or Daryl Waltrip, Larry McReynolds, uh, Steve Letarte, um, you know, just going through the list here, that they have basically been talking to us like we're children, like for the last, I don't know, uh, 15 years or so of broadcasts. And I think, you know, when someone who's new to the sport watches it and maybe they catch on to it for a little bit, um, where they, you know, see part of it, and it looks more like a, a clown show um, from their sp- perspective, and then they don't see anything beyond it, and they, you know, think it's a, a joke or non-serious, and and then you know the like a, I guess like a mockery or something like that, and then you know the things like uh, Talladega Nights as well, like that was a comedy, and NASCAR went full on into it which i mean they they're free to do that but at the same time they kind of made themselves into more of a joke and and you know a lot of people when they think about nascar um or even really racing here in america they kind of go back to ricky bobby talladega nights well maybe a somewhat funny movie in some ways like it also kind of uh made nascar it made a mockery of nascar and and kind of uh, unfairly makes nascar look look like that when it was really more uh beyond that and there's more to it than that i guess uh you could say um 
So I think, you know, in general, I think NASCAR has to do a better job of promoting themselves, marketing themselves to be more popular. Um, because I think when when it is a more popular sport, then um, more people uh, will be um, more into it, regardless of what background they're into. And and I, th I think also another point that I'll make is the, the video game thing, you know, being a sim racer. Well, um, it's kind of expensive to... Uh, build a PC, you know, it's not cheap, and iRacing is the most popular platform for um, stock car sim racing and uh, online right now, and it's not cheap to have a subscription to that, and, you know, in order to rank up and have all the tracks, and, um, well, I mean, if you're just focusing on stock cars, even then, like, you know, the, the cars are like $11.99 a, a car, the tracks are like $14.99 a track, and then, um, the subscriptions, I mean, they have discounts and all that, but, you know, it adds up over time and you have to have that kind of level of income uh, to sustain that or at least, you know, be able to um, continuously afford that. And uh, on the other side of that, we have the, the console side, which um, they haven't really had any, like, viable console series uh, since uh, NASCAR Thunder and the EA games and, um, you know, the EA games, like towards the end of its life cycle started to be really bad, especially when they started producing on PlayStation 3. And now looking today, like we have the NASCAR Heat series, which um, I, I've played the games and I mean, they're not really all that and they're not immersive. Um, they're kind of bare bones and um, the, the physics model isn't really that great, whereas you compare it to a game like NASCAR Thunder 2004, which, you know, had smoke on the cover, like, that was, like, the pinnacle of NASCAR console gaming, and it's easier, like, the point I'm trying to make is it's easier to get into console gaming than it is PC gaming just because of the, you know, the costs involved, and it's, um, you know, easier for everybody to get into that, um, and there, there's not a lot of... Um, infrastructure with that you know you just buy the console in the game and that's it there's no like oh like i gotta like make sure i select the right part and get the right amount of ram or um uh figure out like how much um uh you know frames per second i need or whatever there's you know just simple buy a playstation or xbox and then you buy the game and you know nascar thunder 2004 like that's like the one game that i like console game that i always think back to like playing that game like the soundtrack was great the uh career mode was actually immersive the uh features that it had where you could actually replay a moment that happened during the 2002-2003 nascar seasons and actually replay that or recreate it or change what happened and really none of the games uh sports games these days do it and um in nascar games they there's nothing like that anymore um and so i think all that said you know they they have to the the series has to uh do a better job of promoting itself the um the sponsors have to do, um be more willing to take more risk and and that that falls back or circles back to the series being uh better uh at promoting itself being uh, more popular and then you know also like the sponsor or the series partners and like the the game makers have to do a better job of making a, a better uh racing game or whatever to um have people get into the sport through that yeah it's i, I mean that's a great point you brought up when it comes to access and phil also brought it up to you know, baseball, I mean, there's still, you know, African-American players in baseball, but it's so much less 
of a, a thing because they're either going basketball or football because they're like, oh, that's where we can make the most money. Or like I think about Tiger, you know, like Tiger has brought, you know, he brought Harold Varner has come along, you know, the Tony Finau's of the world. You think of there's a lot of little white dudes, you know, the Justin Thomases and whatever. They all look at Jordan Spieth. They all look at Tiger as the guy. But, I mean, golf, of course, is a uh, prissy, you know, uppity sport for exception of certain orange people. But, you know, like they they're it's for a certain segment of society. You know, I look at bowling. I know we brought up Josh. We brought it up last week, you know, bowling and how much I love. Like I think of, you know, there is um, uh, what's I'm there. There's there's only been like a handful of guys that have um, been Branham. Yeah. Branham, uh, his last name, I'm trying to have to go and look it up here in a second, but like you look at the PBA tour, there's only been like, you think about Tony Reyes and then there is, there was one guy, uh, recently that went and made it on tour and he won a major, you know, like the diversity is a problem and it always has been, um, and when it comes to being a driver, like I, I look at, you know, ownership. Oh, Michael Jordan decided to sign up to be in this. But would Michael Jordan have signed up if he wasn't close friends with old Dennis? Would he have signed up if he didn't have a marketable person in Daryl Walsh Jr.? Michael Jordan's a freaking trillionaire. He ain't trying to waste his money. I mean, he's already been divorced. Like he ain't trying to waste his money like that. You're going and dropping money in NASCAR to start with a small fortune to make a small fortune in motorsports. You have to have, start with a big one. So the reality is, it's not a winning proposition. I don't care what anybody says about the Gen Seven race car. Um, you know, the discussion we had last night on talking in circles kind of makes the spec engine and the truck series and the amount of competitive trucks relative to spots in the, the chase format seem a lot better, but I don't look at the truck series as healthy as what it may seem. That's just me, but. I mean, I look at it in the sense of ARCA trucks and the lower tiers and how many people are available. Like we look at Fast Pasta getting the 38 ride. God bless him. He's a good kid, raw talent. But what happened here in terms of like, you know, the people in terms of being able to make it into the sport developing yourself years of being in lower formulas and then getting into the cup series fast pasta i mean he was installing sim rigs in chad canals's house and now he's going to be in a cup car and there's going to actually be a rookie battle so it's nice at least there'll be a rookie battle theoretically um chase briscoe should win um, and and similar to what last year was, where John Hunter started the year out very well, 
And then once the year came along and, and, you know, the wear and tear of 38 weeks or whatever really took a toll on not only John Hunter as a driver, but front row motorsports as a team, they weren't able to stay with the, the Cole Custer who ended up winning the rookie of the year by default because of the stupidity of the way they changed the rookie format. And then, you have Tyler Reddick and Chris Bell, who at all at some point during the year, all four of those guys were the best rookie at that point, which makes it probably one of the best rookie classes of all time. Um, I'm sure John Hunter Nemechek's days in the Cup Series are are we haven't heard the end of him. I think his run is a decision to go to. Toyota and go to Kyle Busch Motorsports is like a preemptive move for the future um, to be a teammate with Bubba Wallace probably and the I think when it comes to being able to have that access and being able to connect for for us to be able to play a video play a console game or play and then RO3 or going back to NASCAR racing and IndyCar racing too, for me, um, the old papyrus games, that was like what driving laps at Darlington on a freaking keyboard and hitting the wall and like, Oh yeah, that's That's awesome. I'm like, I'm driving. And you're having that ability to make those changes when they talk about them. Oh, you go and took a, took a quarter round out of wedge or you go and take the pressure, take about a pound out on the right front or the right rear. So you can get off the corner or you take off a little bit of spoiler. That's, that's what brings people in and being able to explain that the Nickelodeon broadcast by all by from, from multiple areas was a huge hit. NASCAR in its current form needs that sort of thing if they really truly want to have new fans and they want younger fans to really own this sport. And I think IndyCar and other forms of racing could do that because fundamentally we're all a niche market at this point. The whole big four sports, let's be Frank, it's really big three. It's football, baseball, and basketball. And the way things are going, you could make an argument. It might go down to just literally football and baseball. Um, hockey's kind of started to go off on its own. Uh, and NASCAR, going back 20 years, I was having this conversation with a big-time writer, um, how our days, motorsports days as being big time uh, are done for now, at least. It doesn't mean it couldn't come back, but I think it's going to need a lot of help in terms of the diversity aspect of it. Um, because if you want to have people watch like, oh, he looks like me or she looks like me or whatever. Like the NHRA has it. But then the NHRA is super niche. NHRA, I've gotten to meet Antron Brown. The guy is salt of the earth. He's from Jersey. His cousin's Troy Vincent, who's NFLPA, whatever. And he 
he's won. He's one of the winningest drivers ever, but he's salt of the earth. You know, you look at the Pentagon brothers, you look at um, women that have run the, you know, Shirley Muldowney's and Bonnie Burkett's and, you know, Shelly Anderson. And now, of course, you know, Eric Anders, um, the Force Girls, uh, all three of them. Megan Meyer, who just retired uh, from driving, you know, there, there's a lot of women. Angel Sampay, who's one of the greatest riders on a motorcycle ever. You know, they're, certain motorsports have it. You know, they're trying to do it in Europe with the W Series, and they're, they're trying to market themselves. A lot of these women are marketing themselves with the social media, but also have the W Series and other formats. They're... To me, the the notion is you need to either put people who are willing to make that move or willing to go and take go that extra mile to reach out to underutilized or undervalued uh, segments. And it and I think it connects to what we're gonna finish off the show with, but it also connects with this. If you're going to try to cultivate a fan base you need to hit really young kids you need to hit you need to go and get women uh you know of whatever 18 to 45 you need to hit people of color different races you know from childhood to 45 if you really want to have a sport because this whole BS about 36 races and the Cup Series and the longest schedule in all sports, the days of 36 races are going to end. I'm, I'm calling it right now. We're going to go back to what it was when it was like 1993 when they had like 28 races. That's happening. There's going to be a – the reckoning is coming. And we, there was a reckoning almost last week. But there's going to be a thing where they're going to reevaluate and they're going to be like, we're going to go and reduce the schedule. There's going to be off weeks, and then they're going to have to utilize them. They're going to have to utilize iRacing, NRO3, and say, hey, get Dale Jr. to go and do the NRO3 Classic Hour on NBC on Peacock Network or whatever, and he's going to go and bring out Martin Truex Jr., and he's going to bring out all these other guys that he was racing with while they're all drinking a case of Budwasher and they're all going to go and race. They're not going to tell anybody they're all drunk on Budwasher, but I'm sure they are. Um, you know, if Amy allows them, of course, then you're going to have, um, then you're going to have like 26, 28 races and then truck series will be 20 races again, you know, Xfinity, there might be a little bit different and, the progress would be if, uh, you know, a person like Daniel Suarez, like a Hispanic driver can come in and he doesn't have to have a big check from some massive billionaire and can go and win. It'll be diversity and progress if Bubba Wallace can actually go out there and win and people aren't saying, oh, it's because it's Daytona and Talladega. If he actually goes out and wins on a cookie cutter racetrack. I'm sure they'll say some shit because they just want to because it's about walls. But, you know, progress will be when we have somebody that follows Bubba or follows Daniel Suarez or follows 
Willie T. Ribs or Bill Lester or some of the ladies that have paved the way in this sport, like Johanna Long, like Johanna, I mean, um, Johanna Robbins now, mother, um, of course, uh, Hunter, uh, I think it's Hunter Robbins, I'm forgetting the, the late model driver, of course, um, and of course, Kenzie Rustin Hemrick, um, wife of Daniel Hemrick, uh, Ren is their baby daughter, and of course, Daniel Hemrick has a full-time ride. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, his driving style is unique based on the video between uh, Bubba and uh, Ryan Blaney, which this, the, the thing that is one thing before we get into the next part. I still haven't seen they have never put in an in-car video of Daniel Hemrick with his arms. And I'm sure he wouldn't put his arms up like that. But the reality is I want to see Daniel Hemrick's driving style to prove that he drives somewhat like the way Blaney made him. This is a young gun right here. <laughs> Hemrick. That's, that's it. Like that. I, there's so many reasons why I'm a Hamrick fan, but that's one of the reasons why I'm a Hamrick fan because of that video. Uh, you want to go and hate on Bubble Walls? You have to watch that video with, with with Blaney. He's a great straight guy in that whole entire deal. Sitting there while while Blaney's trying to do Spanish accents, which I mean, he does a great Daniel Suarez. I will give him that. He does a great Daniel Suarez impression which is basically him chewing his words and saying stuff about Aris and whatever, and which is fine. But I think we'll end um, tonight here. I know I'm keeping you too long. I know you probably have to go sleep, Phil. I have to go. We all have to go, but we'll go and end it on uh, football. Um, you have a quarterback that is, I mean, for me as a Colin Kaepernick guy and watching Greg Roman's offense, it's a lot of the same things, except Lamar's a freak. And so I guess we'll talk a little football here. We'll end this deal. We'll get your your take as a Baltimore Ravens diehard. Will your boy Lamar, the defending MVP, be able to run through can he run 4-4 through snow if he can run 4-4 through snow i think he's going to kansas city um next week for the afc championship game but uh that's going to be a tough game between uh two of the court the two quarterbacks and nobody that everyone was doubting in that class um in the 2018 nfl draft uh josh allen and uh, lamar jackson and they're two of the most dynamic players in this league with two teams that have definitely built their teams around them uh, for sure. Let's get your thoughts on that playoff matchup here. Saturday night will be on NBC. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm optimistic. Now uh, I was listening in on some of the media that I think Lamar did today. And uh, Lamar says that he's never played in snow before. And, you know, he's hoping that he doesn't have to. But, um, you know, I think this will probably be, it'll be a, it's going to be a close game. But it doesn't really have to be a close game. Honestly, I don't see Lamar, you know, being 
normal Lamar in this situation. I think it'll be more of the somewhat game manager Lamar where they're not going to make him, you know, go out and run and, you know, where he can hand it off instead to a J.K. Dobbins or to a Gus Edwards uh, or, you know, just short passes to uh, Mark Andrews or, you know, and not even saying because I know depending on what type of snow they're going to have to deal with, uh, you know, I don't expect to see too many of the deep balls, you know, the Hollywood Brown. So this may be that game where you finally see a Des Bryant really show his value, you know, for being that receiver that's going to try to get open. Uh, you know, defensively, I feel like our defense is a little bit better than theirs. Uh, I think the defense is what's going to keep us in the game. It's just, and it's just like it was last week. The offense has to get started early, which they didn't do in that Tennessee game, but they were able to battle back from being down 10 points. But this week they can't. You know, they can't make that mistake because, you know, as good as Tennessee is or was, they were somewhat really of a one-trick pony. You know, as much as people want to say, oh, Tannehill did this, Tannehill did that. Yeah, you still had a running back that ran for 2,000 yards. And in the last game prior to the playoffs, you gave him the ball 35, 36 times. So, you know, I... You know, I, I was kind of bullish on the on the Titans in the first place. You know, I knew, and you know, I I was nervous because you know I said the same thing last year. You know, hey, they're not going to do anything, and then they came in there and they you know they kicked their asses. But I think they learned from that, and then they learned from when we lost to them in Week Eleven. You know, we've seen Josh Allen before. We I think played him. I want to say yeah, it was twenty eighteen. Well, no, we played them each of the last two seasons. And, uh, you know, the first game wasn't all that close. I think it was because Nathan Peterman started. And then they put uh, <laughs> then they put Josh Allen in a game towards the end because I remember Lamar played for the first time towards the end of that game. Uh, not just being a, uh, you know, a decoy-type player. You know, they actually let him get snaps in, but... Uh, you know, and then last year we went there and the game came down to Marcus Peters making an interception. Uh, so it's going to be a close game. I'll probably say, depending on weather, I still could probably see less than a combined, let's eh, say less than a combined 45 points. I would probably say somewhere around 17 to 10 uh, or, you know, 17-14, somewhere around that area. Uh, maybe a last-second field goal. And, you know, if we do get that chance, because, you know, I don't want to count the Browns out, you know, from beating the Chiefs, because it could happen. But, uh, you know, uh, I think we are prepared, because we played Kansas City, but, you know, not to, not to look past this game, but if we do go on a matchup with Kansas City. I think now we have enough where we're prepared and we understand how to try to, con- you know, try to get to Mahomes. But, you know, it all just starts with going into Buffalo this weekend and making sure you come out, uh, you know, in one piece. So, 
Yeah, I mean, for, for that game is going to be really that's I think the most intriguing game of the weekend. Uh, you know, the Green Bay game. It's the MVP, the likely MVP this year in Aaron. Uh, likely going and getting a win against a Rams, LA Rams team that doesn't know who their quarterback's going to be. Um, they took advantage of Seattle, thankfully, and uh, knocked them out um, for the betterment of society. And, um, you know, the Rams are tough out no matter what because of Aaron Donald, because he's not human. Um, but it's going to be hard for them to go to Green Bay and win that deal. The other uh, matchup with the two Jerry's in um, in Drew Brees and Tom Brady uh, to see the in the wheelchair bowl. Um, who's going to win that? So they get to go to Green Bay and lose more than likely will be something. Uh, that'll be the last game. But really, the that Baltimore game against Buffalo with those two quarterbacks in the snow uh, is intriguing in a lot of ways. I, I find that to be the that's the game that can kind of flip everything. Because, yeah, we both I think, Josh, I, I think we both know sold Cleveland. Last week, I mean, I don't think we saw them being up 28 to nothing in the first quarter. Um, I don't think anybody did. Of course, Al and Chris didn't. Um, that game was a complete clusterfuck. Um, it it had all the makings of. They mentioned it. And I don't. I, I think Pat McAfee mentioned it on his pod where or somewhere I heard it where it was basically Dan Marino and Jimmy Johnson's last game where they got baptized by your Jacksonville Jaguars. It was like uh, 63 to seven or something. 62 like that. to seven. So yeah. <laughs> and where Mark Brunel threw for like five, six scores and it's like the old Keenan McCardell and um, Fred Taylor, Fred Taylor run, which hasn't been all, broken. Yeah. That, that, yeah, you, you, you ended Isotoner, you ended the hairspray, you ended both of their careers on that divisional playoff game. That was something, or not division, it was a wild card game, but whatever it was, you ended Dan Marino like few people have ended certain players. And that's, that's what that game was because Ben Roethlisberger had the look of, yeah, that was it. So, um, yeah, I mean, let, I, let's get your thoughts on this weekend's uh, wild card matchups and uh, or wild card divisional matchups and what we kind of what was surprised you from last week. Yeah, I think for this weekend, uh, the I mean, talking about the Baltimore Buffalo game, uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup, and like you guys said, like the weather is going to be a huge factor in that game. And I actually think if, if weather is a, a factor in that game, like if it if it gets to be a, a heavy snow, I actually think the Ravens are uh, going to be able, um, th- that'll favor the Ravens a lot more 
than what pe- people might think. And you know, it's a lot easier to run the ball in uh, the snow than it is to pass the ball, obviously. And I think if it's like a, a heavy snow type game, kind of like what we saw in 2017, I want to say with the Colts and the Bills uh, in the late regular season mat- matchup that they had there, uh, then I think for uh, this game on uh, Saturday night, if it's something like that, then I think the Ravens probably win that game because uh, they have a good running game. Uh, it's not quite as good as what it was last year, but as long as they utilize uh, J.K. Dobbins, uh, Gus Edwards, um, Lamar Jackson, um, they I think they'll have a, a lot of success on the ground. And then defensively, you know, like the the Jacksonville guys, the Clayus Campbell, um, maybe he actually gets a playoff sack for the first time ever in his career, despite having a uh, 12-year career. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, if those guys can show up and uh, show up on the stat sheet and uh, pressure Josh Allen, I think they'll have a good chance of winning. Um, if it's, you know, light snow, I feel like Josh Allen probably performed a lot better. Um, he is a little uh, uneven sometimes, but... Uh, he's definitely uh, vastly improved over his last two years. And uh, if I can see, like, if it's a little bit more conventional game that favors passing or whether that favor, favors passing, then I think maybe uh, the Bills will pull it out. Um, if it turns to be kind of like a, a shootout-type matchup. But if it's, you know, like something more of like a, a defensive struggle, I think probably the, the Ravens will uh, win that game. Um, I think the, re- the rest of the games... Uh, Cleveland and Kansas City is the other intriguing matchup, and it's going to be like if if uh, uh, the the Browns can match the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, definitely they have the the potential to do that. But the problem is just the the speed that Kansas City has and their ability to utilize formations, and they have the best quarterback in the game right now, uh, Patrick Mahomes, who's just able to make like every single throw and and be able to. Um, get out of pressure when he needs to and I'm not sure if uh, the Browns are going to have the ability to score and put up points and pour it all on over the Chiefs like they did the Steelers last week I think that was an anomaly type of game where the Steelers were just not ready to play and and like we said last week like they just weren't ready to play at all Um, they weren't prepared and I think Roethlisberger um, I think that's the end of him like uh, you just mentioned there so that's going to be an interesting matchup if uh, Cleveland can uh, match score for score uh, with Kansas City. And then uh, the NFC side, uh, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, uh, I think just favor Tampa Bay. Or Sorry, well, I, I would like to see Tampa Bay win, but I think it'll be New Orleans uh, just because uh, they steamrolled uh, Tom Brady the first game of the season. And then they played that Sunday night game in Tampa, uh, the middle portion of the season, and, and and blew them out. So I think uh, New Orleans has, has a easy win there. I think they're just better team overall. Um, despite the names that the Bucks have on offense uh, and some on, on defense, Levante David, their linebacker there. And um, uh, I don't know who else they got there, but I, I feel like the, the Bucks are overachieving for the names that they have on their team. Um, they just, they have some of the plays sometimes, um, you know, risk it, don't biscuit with uh, uh, Coach Arians, but they, they just 
don't have the the consistency or the ability to adjust and and really like attack the weaknesses of the other team uh that's kind of what i've seen from them this season so i think the saints win that one and then on the nfc i think um it's gonna be up to defense for the rams if they can pressure uh uh aaron Rodgers if uh, if Aaron Donald's able to play in that game, uh, if Jalen Ramsey, another Jacksonville guy, if he can uh, shut down uh, Devontae Adams, if he can take him away and make uh, Aaron Rodgers have to u- utilize guys like uh, Alan Lazard, also another former Jacksonville guy, we gave him away. Um, um, Aaron Jones on the, the running back side of things. Um, if you know if they can run the ball well um i i would probably lean towards the green bay because they have a better quarterback but if the la defense able to uh um, keep it close they're able to um, stop enough drives and prevent uh, green bay from scoring then maybe they they could pull it out but it's going to depend on the quarterbacking for that because um uh jared goff is not it uh andy's hurt uh wolford uh is um also hurt and I don't know if he'll play. Um, he could, but you know, he was obviously in in the stretcher and went to the hospital last week. So that'll be interesting to see if if uh, he can either start or back up. And then of course the third quarterback in Blake Bortles, uh, if if uh, he ends up playing or not, um, which I don't think he will, but that's certainly a possibility. Can't be ruled out just quite yet. Um, and then I guess last week's game. Um, I mean, I feel like none of them really surprised me the kind of the results all kind of went the way that it was going to go uh i i feel like maybe the seattle la game kind of surprised me just because like uh i feel like that was maybe russell wilson's weakest game that he's had in the playoffs as, as a, a pro um just didn't really look like the russell wilson that we're used to seeing uh in in that game like he was just not quite the same for whatever reason not sure why but um I mean, I think that one was just uh, surprising, and then the the Bills and Colts game was a little bit surprising because in the, uh, the first half of that game, I thought Indianapolis was a better uh, team than Buffalo, but they kept shooting themselves in the foot, which uh, Frank Reich is known for doing, with passing up chances to take uh, touchdowns or uh, field goals and uh, deciding to go for it when they don't need to, or you know, calling the wrong plays, um, or utilizing um, the wrong players uh, at the wrong times. Like um, that was, um, I guess that that part isn't shocking of itself, but the fact that they just didn't take advantage of the opportunities uh, when you needed to, um, I think that surprised me the most. So um, it'll be another exciting weekend, I think, of playoff football, and we'll start to see who's um, the uh, the the real teams uh this weekend i guess you could say yeah it's gonna be something to see who makes it out of this uh divisional round uh in a football season unlike any other nfl football season uh but i sound like jim nance on that one but um I mean, to me, Cleveland making it through, credit to them and that organization. Andrew Barry um, as a GM, Kevin Stefanski coaching from his couch in the basement um, and destroying um, destroying Omar Epps and Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, that to beat the Steelers, it means more than just, you know, 
it, it, Cleveland Browns to beat the Steelers is huge. Whatever happens on Sunday, I, I don't – I mean, the the reality is this. You have Kareem Hunt, who's going back to Kansas City. He got ran out of there because of stuff, um, personal stuff, and he was an elite running back for them, and now he shares a backfield with Nick Chubb, which, of course, Nick Chubb his whole entire – for many years in his you know football career has always shared a backfield with another elite talent. Um, so the fact that two elite number one running backs are in there, can it's the question really lies? Can Baker throw them to a win? Uh, they have Higgins, who's underrated, of course, Landry. Um, I think they've been a much better team since Odell uh, went away because they're actually a team. Um, the tight ends were a part of it. They have two tight ends. They have those two wide receivers. The running backs are able to do work out of the backfield. Ball control, Kevin Stefanski being back, trying to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes is a great equalizer. It's similar to what the Giants did to beat Buffalo um, in the one Basically, um, the Niners were able to do it for 53 minutes against Patrick Mahomes. It also helps that Patrick Mahomes wasn't playing very well. Uh, he threw, he turned the ball over three times, and then he became Superman for the last seven minutes and then took my soul. Um, the notion is Kansas City is beatable. They haven't been as... Um, you know, and even in all the games, they were behind in every playoff game last year and had to make a comeback. At some point, it's going to this this nonsense for Patrick Mahomes is going to run out. So do I think it's going to happen here? No. But I do think it's going to happen in the next game, I feel like. But we will see. Uh, the Tampa, the geriatric bowl. Um, red 80 face car probably goes and gets that win. It wasn't a great performance in the, uh, wild card round. Uh, the Chicago bears are not, um, I mean, their defense showed up, uh, for the most part, uh, their offense was non-existent, but then the Chicago bears and offense has been non-existent for decades. Um, if Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay is able to go and get ahead then we're going to have a really nice game. Do I believe that's going to happen? I don't know. I don't believe so, personally. Uh, the um, Green Bay game, I've already said, I, I feel Aaron and um, Devontae Adams, that's one of the sickest. That's like this, the current day, you know, younger Jerry Rice. It's basically what it's become. They the two, three touchdowns a game, easy. It's ridiculous. Um, I can only imagine what Steve Young would be able to do in this league. Probably throw for 700 yards a game. Probably run for 100, throw for 300, run for 100 every freaking game. Be easy. Um, you know, I think Green Bay wins that game. They have rest. They have time. They're going against a team that is beat up. 
Uh, I mean, Aaron Donald's one of the best players in the league, period, but he can't carry them. Um, If he could play quarterback, I'm sure. If he could play both sides of the ball, maybe, but um, I don't think that's going to happen. The game, the one game I think that dictates a lot of what happens and what we see in Tampa Bay and in a in a less than a month's time will be the Saturday night Buffalo Baltimore game. Um, in the end, Josh Allen, the way he's been playing the Jay gun offense, as I like to call it, because it reminds me of the old K gun offense. He has matured um, and he is playing at a level uh, that they haven't had in Buffalo since Jim Kelly. And Jim Kelly co-signed on him, so he signed off on him. So he's he's Buffalo Jesus. If Buffalo Jesus goes and signs off on you, you're blessed. You just go and give him the host and everything. That's what it is. Um, Sean McDermott's probably one coach of the year, and he deserves it. Brandon Bean, they run a great organization. But Baltimore, um, Lamar Jackson got through that, got that monkey off his back, and now it's house money. John Harbaugh has always been a guy that that figures out ways when people don't believe. He always uses it. it John Harbaugh is one of the most underrated. And I, and the point is, I'm a I Jim Harbaugh was the coach of the Niners. John Harbaugh is one of the most underrated coaches in the past in my whole lifetime as a as a fan. He was a special teams coach for Andy Reid in Philly for years. Then he got that Baltimore job. And, and the irony is it's kind of like the whole Jimmy and Chad cookie, the milk and cookies meeting. They were about to can John Harbaugh a couple years ago. And then they put Lamar in and they changed everything up. Now all of a sudden, oh, John Harbaugh is good again. No, John Harbaugh is always good. And he got that ring too. Thanks to Greg Roman's great offensive play calling and and Jim, both of them shitting the bed Um, and some other stuff. But I'm not going to mention it because Phil's my my guest here. We could mention if we do our own thing. But the, the fact of the matter is my heart wants to say Buffalo because one of my close friends is a Buffalo fan, and I love the Buffalo Bills, the way they play and all that. But I honestly believe Baltimore and that offense and Lamar and that whole deal, the way things are going. Tennessee didn't finish the job for whatever reason because, you know, whatever, Mike Vrabel and his ego, who knows? You just awoken a sleeping giant. They left one on the table last year. You're giving them a new lease on life. Baltimore, I don't, I mean, personally, I want Buffalo in, but Baltimore goes in an orchard park Saturday night, pisses off all them fans. People are going to be doing table spots, but that's going to be after they've done a case and they've watched Lamar do Lamar things 
like similar to Colin Kaepernick back in 2012 when he had Greg Roman as his offensive coordinator. He didn't get to do it in snow. He just did it in candlestick, which is like kind of being in snow because it had like 30 mile an hour wins. You know, I, he goes and wins that game and they go to the a- AFC championship game. And then Andy Reid, Andy Ryad has to go and figure out how, how am I going to take that mediocre defense that I have and stop that. That's going to be something, uh, I figure, when we get to that point. But um, that's my two cents. I'm going to throw to you, Phil, first as our guest. Um, let us know where we can find you on socials, where we can find our, your show, and um, what you're working on, any other projects you may be working on. Okay, yeah. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at Phil in Espanol, that's P-H-I-L-E-N-E-S-P-A-N-O-L. Well, either way, I'm sure, you know... Uh, Felipe Espana. Yeah, he'll he'll tag me in this. So if you're listening, you'll be able to find me on Twitter there. But uh, the podcast, White Silk Racing Podcast, that's on uh, Spotify... Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, basically wherever you get your podcasts, just search it in the search bar. Uh, it'll pop up. I think it has a picture of uh, Brad Keselowski testing a, uh, doing a tire test, I think. I'm not sure. Either way, that was one of my, uh, that was a photo that they offered to me, so that's what I used. Uh, and then I also have the White Silk Racing Show. That's just getting started on YouTube. Just look up White Silk Racing Show. Uh, I got, I think, three episodes up right now, or maybe two or three. And I, I know I got one that I'm still in the process of editing. Uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, only other thing that I'm in the process of working on, uh, really I want to start a series on that white silk racing uh youtube page basically about defunct race teams you know racing like the teams we talked about earlier like uh you know like a mb2 or uh don levy racing or you know little small smaller teams that have a big part in nascar history that may be forgotten now but really just being able to uh explain uh you know why you should know these people as well as you do uh you know some of today's superstars so yeah it's pretty much all i'm working on right now well thank you for coming on man hopefully we can uh all work together in something or in other projects and bud moore is another one because he's a american hero he fought for our country before he ended up going and being a great team owner uh he's another one there for that project and uh if you definitely want to there there you got a resource here if you want to go and talk and we can go and do that for sure um josh where uh can we find you on socials and where can we stream your uh, uh sim racing on iRacing yeah, you can always uh, follow me at Twitter uh, at 
JP Huffine, uh, it's J-P-H-U-F-F-I-N-E, and then twitch.tv slash usailor2, that's uh, Y-O-U-S-A-I-L-O-R-2, and uh, that's what we'll have the uh, iRacing streams, and um, maybe I'll do some other gaming on there. Uh, recently just purchased the PlayStation 5, so probably get some uh, Madden on there, some Call of Duty or uh, whatever when I can. So um, that's uh, where you can uh, find my content right now. Yeah, one of my uh, one of the people I work with in my job spends half of the meetings that we have talking about how he wants a PlayStation Five. So now I need to go and send him your number so he can go and figure out how how you got the hookup to get that PlayStation Five, and he can go and talk your ear off. Maybe you can go and get him a job too. Um, don't tell my um, employer that. Uh, you can find me at Philip G Matthew on Twitter. Find me on Facebook occasionally. Uh, you can also find my website, philipgmatthew.com, where you can see the Grip Strip podcast. Um, we're at Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. Uh, as Phil said, basically, you could type in Grip Strip Pod, Grip Strip Podcast, in any place where you can find a podcast um, and find us there as well. Um, YouTube is the next frontier i guess and we're still working on that it is january hopefully sometime during the nascar season we'll probably have our mugs up there on uh youtube since we both have youtube pages um but either way thank you phil for coming on hopefully it's not the first time we have we're all together we can probably do something else um josh thank you as always man for being my right-hand man. Um, and to anyone that's listening, thank you so much for supporting the Gripshire podcast. Uh, stay safe. Uh, take care of one another. Uh, wear a mask, social distance, do your thing uh, so that we can go and enjoy this motor, enjoy motorsports, sports, whatever together as, as a people, as a, as a fan base again, and not have to be um, worried about the things that I, we've been having to worry about and truly treat one another with love and care in a time where we are struggling with so much. All right, take care. We'll see you next week. <laughs>